0: Welcome to Press Room on Radio Town. Presented by Garrard's Horse and Hound. Making shopping easier with their online store. The same extensive catalogue, the same keen prices online or over the phone. 1-800-060-896 or visit horseandhound.com.au.
1: Good morning, everyone. This is Press Room for Monday, February nineteenth, And as always, thanks for your company. Big show coming up. Ben is not too far away. Have a chat with a special guest midway through the program. Of course, always interested in what you think, what you feel, agree or disagree. Lots of talking points during each week of Press Room. And you know how to contact me. You can tweet me at Radio Tab Or the best way is to text me, 499 putter zero four double nine seven eight six eight three seven Zero four double 9, nine seven eight six eight three seven 786837 Podcast. It's out every week. We tweet the link out on Radio Tab Oz. Or you can go to Spotify and search under Radio Tab. And of course, as you well know, Press Room each and every Monday is brought to you with the compliments of Garrard's Horse and Hound. Well, a question I asked this morning is has the prestigious Ken's Amateurs Carnival run its last race? Literally. It's six months out to the 66th Amateurs, scheduled for mid-September, but the drums are beating a very hollow sound. One thing you can take to the bank, the carnival, if it proceeds, will not be as it has been in its previous 65 years. The carnival was the brainchild of the late Sir Sid Williams, and at its zenith during the 80s, was the meeting place for the country's business leaders and all of the big politicians. A two-day carnival, which has comfortably carried tradition through the decades, has morphed into one of the biggest social events in Cairns, not only on the race days, but some of the big events off the tracks surrounding the race days. Pressroom believes these questions are worth posing this morning. Does the Far North Queensland Amateur Turf Club actually still exist? Has its well-intentioned committee fallen on its sword? Does the Cairns Amateurs website still exist? The only avenue of promotion of the amateurs is a couple of lines on the Cairns Regional Council website. Does the carnival exist in the present Friday-Saturday format or revert to one day or revert to nothing? Who hosts it if the previous host club and committee don't exist? A control buddy such as Racing Queensland can't host a race meeting. Does the Cairns Jockey Club fill the breach of host? Does the carnival remain in the September time slot? So many questions, but all worthy of an answer. It will be an absolute travesty if the Cairns Amateurs is dismantled or even abandoned. More on this next week.
0: You're listening to Press Room on Radio Tab.
1: Ben Dorries joins me first up this morning. Ben, how are you?
2: Yes. Good morning, David. I've just got one question for you. I've always wanted to ask this on the show. If I text that o four double nine punter for um, mm. to, to get onto you, is that your phone? Do I do I get do, do no. people get you directly? Or? No, it's, oh. a, it's, a, it's a well. It's well how, a, how about ma- ha, how, how about I, I give out your actual mobile phone number right <laughs> now on on air? What do you think?
1: Plenty of people find it and, and send me messages. But no, the, the, the that number zero four double nine seven eight six eight three seven a man sits in a room with no windows and just sits there waiting for the screen to flash. <laughs> he leads a very lonely existence. You never see him either. You never see him come out to to, to get a drink or a cup of coffee. just sits there looking at that phone, <laughs> hoping, that's someone that's con- hoping someone contacts him. I won't give away his identity. To he's, he's well known to, to many racing people too, but... Uh, is, it, uh, is it
3: Bart Sinclair?
1: <laughs> well, look... Now you've put me in an awkward position. You've put me in an awkward position that I, that I have to release his name now. That's one of his side hustles. He monitors zero four double nine putter. That's what it's come to for him.
2: Wow, for, that's uh, that's true. That's But <laughs> we, we are really getting off topic, aren't we? And Bart, I know he's a patron or has been a patron yes. uh, up in Kansas to do with the matter you were just talking about. So no doubt. Bart would have some uh, some strong um, opinions on that as well. It's interesting to hear you talk about that. I must admit I knew absolutely nothing about it and I don't have the answers to any of the questions you pose. but uh, I'm
1: sure you're close to the matter and we'll have to keep an eye on that. We'll see what happens during the week. Look, one thing, we were on past the post yesterday. We didn't talk a lot about Eagle Farm because there was a lot to talk about interstate. But one thing that I think we should address this morning, and it's a, a big tick, it's several ticks, and I think we all knew this was going to happen, but just how well it would, would be achieved was the fact that the Eagle Farm track received basically eight inches of rain in less than 24 hours before race day. Now, we've heard Eagle Farm, that the, the latest version of Eagle Farm is the best version, it's playing well, and we've heard that the drainage system is second to none. But we actually haven't been in a position where we've had all that rain on the day before, and then what happens on race day. What we saw on race day was outstanding. Look, they, they, they rated it a, soft, a heavy eight, a recessed to a soft seven. I think it played better than a soft seven during the day, maybe even soft six, soft five. But ratings aside, Eagle Farm showed that it's a, a masterful track and proved conclusively that doesn't matter how much rain you get, we're right to go. Yeah, it's funny, Dave. you said at the start of those remarks that that everyone kind of
2: realised that despite that rain, you know, the truck would be okay on Saturday. Well, yes, everyone in Queensland probably did. But you'd be staggered with the amount of messages that I got from people down south saying, you know, they were reading the the headline story on the Courier Mail, 200 mils of rain, half of Brisbane underwater, Swiftwater rescues, I think some deaths as well. And the messages I was getting was, well, just forget about this Eagle Farm card tomorrow. Yeah, clearly they won't run. So, look, the message is certainly out there in Queensland and certainly the hardened punters and, and you know, whatever, to keep an eye on the industry. But I still think um, there's an element of sort of surprise in Sydney and Melbourne and, and other places when you see that extraordinary amount of rain. And if they do race there, that, that was nothing short of... That was a David Copperfield-style act on, on Saturday. Yes, we knew it was coming, but... I mean, that was that was superb. And I've got to say, isn't it nice to be able to give Eagle Farm a big rap after literally, I reckon, for the history of this program, outside of the last probably six months to a year, I've, I've sort of bagged Eagle Farm, you know? Like, not so much the... Well, certainly not the people who work on the track, the track curators and the, and the officials there, but I, I suppose just some of the decisions that have been made at high levels and the various reincarnations of the track. But I, I've got to say that wet dry snow hail whatever whatever conditions you get that that eagle farm track is nothing short of spectacular and jim roberts i must say deserves a mighty congratulations as well because he's the man on the ground yeah there have been some other decisions made and and he's got people to answer to he's got a whole lot of track staff but jim is a is a mightily experienced office uh, uh, official he, he's a terrific man he, he's no man's fool he knows what he's doing and it's just nice that Jim Roberts can now go to bed at night, every night, and, uh, and not really worry too much about the Eagle Farm track. I mean, imagine all those years of sleepless nights and worry and nervousness and waking up to bad headlines and whatever. So, yep, uh, terrific stuff, David, and, and long, mate, continue.
1: Yeah, exactly right. And also it showed as well that uh, whilst the the drainage is outstanding, we saw on Saturday too, no hint of bias at all. Check the the results of the nine races. They were up the inside, down the outside, on speed, from back in the field. So they they won from all parts of the track. Uh, uh, And it's interesting to point out too, it has been a rocky road up until probably the last 18 months, maybe even a bit less, but you, you put things in perspective... The first renovation was 10 years ago, 2014, so it's been a long time. It's been a decade of, uh, f- for the major part, drama, but now everything is is going A-OK. Okay. Speaking of Eagle Farm and the BRC, you wrote a story during the week which I thought was a very positive story on a number of fronts, firstly for the BRC and their sister club, basically, in Melbourne, but also a, a very positive sign for our, our winter carnival.
2: Yeah, look, I love cooperation between race clubs in different states and PRAs in different states. Obviously, we don't see much of that between Victoria and New South Wales. But here's a great example of cooperation um, between two race clubs, the Melbourne Racing Club and the Brisbane Racing Club, to benefit both. So, um, so yeah, I basically broke a yarn that the Q22, that $1.2 million race, Uh, which was obviously won by without a fight last year, which went on to to do amazing things and win the Caulfield and Melbourne Cups, has received golden ticket status for the Caulfield Cup ballot exemption. So uh, if you win the Q22, you are automatically in the Caulfield Cup. Now, most years or, or a lot of years, that potentially may be the case anyway, depending on the status of the winner. Um, but but it may not be in some years. But but I suppose what it does is it's a great tick of approval for for the Queensland Winter Carnival in general, as a sort of breeding ground, stamping ground for, for horses that go on to to probably bigger and better things in the spring. And, and it's a great sign of cooperation between the Melbourne Racing Club and Brisbane Racing Club. Um, and let's face it, that that race since it was. Uh, with The form, former PJA stakes, it, since it received a, a you know big prize money boost, it, it's had some terrific winners. It's generally been a good contest. It's on Stradbroke Day. It adds another dimension to Stradbroke Day. So look, um, I just reckon it's, it's it's a great tick of approval for that race and for the for the Winter Carnival in
1: general, David. Yeah, and uh, you, you make the good point too. Not just a, a good uh, tick for the carnival, but also a good boost for the Q Twenty Two. It also, I think bears mentioning and, and you'd appreciate this because you worked in Melbourne for some time the Melbourne Racing Club are very proactive in being cooperative oh absolutely look I really
2: like Josh Blanksby uh, their CEO who ironically for a short time was being bandied about as potentially coming to Queensland and uh, applying for the job that Jason Scott, the now Racing Queensland chief executive, got when Brendan Parnell left, he, he's, um, Josh Blank, his Josh whose name was definitely mentioned in dispatches around that time. But yeah, look, I think Josh is a, a very progressive administrator. He's got uh, he's obviously some issues on his hands, I guess, with Sandown. You know, that's 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 one of their clubs, but. Uh, look, I-, I like the way they go about things. You remember, uh, uh, famously, several years ago, there was a race, I think it was the Scalacci Stakes, wasn't it, that was uh, effectively a win-in-your-in race for the Everest. Now, that was at a time when uh, racing New South Wales and Victoria were totally at war, yet he was a race club uh, basically partnering with a race club in Sydney, in Sydney to benefit both. Now, it didn't really work, that that sort of scenario, because it was a week before the Everest, and, and you know, it was just a... yeah you know, down in the tax it was just a bit tricky. But, but I liked the innovation of it. I liked having a go. Um, and, yeah, of course, we're in the middle, obviously, of uh, the Autumn Carnival. A lot of those big races are being held at Caulfield, and we'll see uh, the Blue Diamond Stakes and two other uh, group ones uh, at Caulfield on Saturday. So I wish the Melbourne Racing Club well for those.
1: You read a story, I think just over a week ago, about a, a potential reduction of vets and swab attendance at, at race meetings in Queensland. Uh, this came out with a current review of Keurig underway by KPMG. We, we discussed it then in some detail on Monday, last Monday's press room, but lo and behold, there was a, a turnaround a short time later.
2: Well, there was look, there was so much industry backlash, both on an animal welfare front and also on an integrity front, I've got to say, that I, I think the, the bosses of the Queensland Racing Integrity Commission had no uh, choice but to reverse this decision. And look, I, I must say, I'm not sure that all the heavyweights there had actually oversight of this decision. I, I have a feeling, I don't know for sure, but I have a feeling that Shane Gillard, the boss of uh, Keurig, may not have even been intimately aware of this decision that had been made. So... Uh, That's another situation in itself. But, look, I suppose the bottom line is uh, all's well that ends well. Uh, We keep the same number of vets and sample collection officers on race day, which is a good thing. Now, interestingly, I saw at Eagle Farm on um, Saturday, David, that a group from KPMG, there was three of them, uh, and KPMG is, of course, the mob that is conducting the independent review into Keurig, well, they were actually following the stewards around on Saturday. I saw Josh Adams out there showing them the track, and they went in the stewards room and had a look around. Now, I'm not exactly sure what KPMG following the stewards around does for the independent review, but anyway, there they were. So, um, again, um, I suppose when you KPMG wouldn't know the first thing about racing, I guess. So, I suppose when you're doing a review of something you don't know anything about, you probably have to start at the ground and, and educate yourself and, and work out what the problems might be. But there they were, anyway, David. KPMG at the track at Eagle Farm on Saturday.
1: I noticed the Racing Minister Grace Grace was at the track on Saturday as well and she was at the Harness Awards last night so she had a busy weekend there so seeing Grace she there. Also, uh, just she, also, full... she also backed you all best. What was that horse that you liked? Was it Iron Grace? Iron Grace?
2: Yeah Did she, she backed it. Grace Grace. after Yeah 100% I'm not making oh, that up. Uh, You're making that up. it Because of her name. No, I'm not. I swear to you, I am not making that up. I, I dead set stone cold swear to you. She was asked, uh, she said, what should I back in this race? And someone said, look, there's
1: a horse called Iron Grace. She said, that'll do me, Grace, Grace, Iron Grace. So she filled up on your tip too, David. I, I, I tell you what, you've um, unleashed a beast this morning. A man with silver white hair just put his head around the corner. <laughs> he said, no text yet. He said, Can I go and get a glass of water. I said, be quick. You're on the clock. You're on the clock. Very good, very good. uh, Before you go, you wrote a story about Satellite Stables last week.
2: Well, yeah, look, it wasn't so much a story, actually, David. It was a... I have a weekly column with with one of my compatriots at at RaceNet, which actually gets a fair bit of traction. Sometimes uh, Matt Williams says some silly things. Sometimes he says some smart things. Sometimes I say some ridiculous things as well. But, look, we just have a bit of fun and toss a few things around and <clears throat> we don't take ourselves too seriously, which is probably the key to it. So it generally gets a, a fair bit of traction. But, look, one of the things I said in there was, look, I, I'm not totally convinced about the merits of satellite stables, particularly in Brisbane. I, I, I get it in Sydney and Melbourne, you know, like they're, they're sort of relatively close to, well, not close together, but, but you know, Kieran Mar. You know, has a big presence in both, and and he himself travels to Sydney and Melbourne and, and vice versa. But look, just in Brisbane, yes, I've heard the argument that you know wagering turnover can be boosted by having you know the, the big names like a Walla horse or a Nisha horse or, or, or something like that in a race. I, I'm just not convinced. Um, look, I, I, I'm just a little worried that. You know, Queensland ends up effectively being a bit of a dumping ground for second and third and fourth tier horses from southern states. And let's face it, uh, Brett Killian, lofty, uh, who, who, who is Waller's man in Queensland, is a fabulous bloke, fabulous operator. So too is Todd Pollard uh, from Annabelle Nisham's stables. This is absolutely no criticism on either of those those fellows. They'd be terrific trainers in their own right, and they do a wonderful job, and they're terrific fellas. But just the satellite system as a whole. I'm just wondering sort of what it's achieving. like I mean, you see sort of two or three Waller horses in a in a benchmark sort of 70 race on a Saturday. I mean, does that really do much for wagering turnover? I'm not exactly sure. And look, it would be yes. different, I guess, if they were sending up big-name horses, which obviously they do anyway at the winter carnival time. Mm. But look, if there were some rising stars coming up here through their, through their system, we could get excited about it at other times of years. I'd sort of be all for it. But I, I just wonder... Whether it is potentially denying some young and emerging Queensland trainers, some up-and-coming Queensland trainers, a, a chance for, for boxers, a chance to sort of further themselves. So, look, I, I'm not sort of shouting from the rooftops about it, but but it just I just posed a question, are sort of satellite stables, like these stables that we see in Queensland, are they good
1: for Queensland racing? I'm not convinced, David. What do you think? Um the availability of stables or lack of a availability of stables for traders, not just um, up-and-coming traders, but even established traders who, who who've, are getting more horses on their books is an issue, and I think Racing Queensland know it's a high priority. Uh, in terms of satellite stables, I think there's um, a, a positive side to it because, just say for example you own a horse with Chris Waller in Sydney, or Kieran Maher, or Chris Lees, who's got a Satellite Stable on the Gold Coast. Your horse isn't good enough in Sydney. You can't quite cut the mustard there. It can come to an easier level and still be in the care of the stable you want to be in. So I th- and, and and put it this way: the horses that arrive from Sydney and Melbourne, particularly Sydney, uh, I think are more than competitive at Brisbane level, and I think that's shown in the results. And I think the the, the brand Waller, Ma, Nisham. Um, Lees, I think they're strong brands, and I don't think they harm turnover. So I see it a little bit differently to you. But but I do understand that uh, that lack of availability of stabling is an issue. We've run out of time, mate. I'll talk to you soon. Beautiful. I'm going to go and text that number and see if anyone answers. See you, David. Right. See you, mate. Bye-bye. There he is. Ben Dory joining us. Ray Thomas is on the line now. Ray, good morning. How are you? Uh,
3: good morning, David. Terrific. And good morning to all your listeners.
1: We we realised uh, a very big story hit the, the papers, so, so to speak, um, a few months ago with a memorandum of understanding between the Australian Turf Club and the New South Wales state government uh, about the sale of Rose Hill, the potential sale of Rose Hill for housing redevelopment. It was a big story at the time, It then sort of the, the gas came out of it, but all of a sudden it's been reignited last week because the ATC have embarked upon some uh, communication type meetings, some gatherings, They had one on Tuesday night, I think one on Saturday at the races. Uh, It certainly has brought the story back right to the forefront because there were two people who made their uh, feelings heard and they are of very very significant uh, standing in the racing community.
3: Yeah, Gay Waterhouse and Chris Waller, I think you're referring to there, they were at both meetings and certainly um, they're vehemently opposed to any plans to sell Rose Hill. I I think the issue... As you said, it's been simmering along since it was first announced late last year. Um, these information seminars, if we can put it that way, David, that the ATC embarked upon, um, probably they, they started, they've missed the, missed the start of this race, I think, because they've lost control of the narrative. And by that, I mean, I think information is the key to all of this. Um, mm. Try and put passion aside for one moment. Information, by that, I mean, where are all the new racetracks? potentially be? How will supposedly the new training center at Horsley Park look? What are the plans for Canterbury? What are the plans for Warwick Farm? I think people need to um, be given access to these plans when and if they're eventually um, drawn up because right now they're only in the embryonic stages and that's the problem. I think also the language from the uh, announcement late last year um, to use a, um, one of Gay Waterhouse's expressions during these meetings, it sounded like a fait accompli and to that end she's right, it almost sounded like the deal had been done
2: mm.
3: same only memory of understanding as you pointed out but the language was this is going to happen, it's going to bring 5 to 7B into the racing industry we're going to do this, this and this it was almost like it, it was as gay said a fait accompli and it's far from that David um, as I said First and foremost, the ATC has got to embark on uh, on um, getting these plans drawn up and done so then people can make an informed decision. Right now, those decisions have been driven by passion primarily and it's understandable. No-one wants to see Rose Hill sold, sold at all. But as a couple of Rose Hill trainers have told me, what if what we could potentially get is better than what we've got now? No-one knows yet, David, and that is the problem.
1: I, I think... I think you've hit the nail on the head in terms of information and and both parties need to take some responsibility here. Yes, uh, there there can be a lot of passion and emotion um, in terms of of Rose Hill, uh, in terms of respect also for the the track itself, its tradition and the like, Mm. but also on the other side, from the the side of the ATC and and possibly the government, um, I think more information needs to be forthcoming, but the problem might be, Ray, that information might be available. Like, we keep hearing this, and I think this is one yep. of the key issues. Are we going to build a new world-class track, but where? Mm-hmm. I don't think they know, because uh, I'm sure they don't know.
3: Yeah, well, um, I was speaking to one of the, the ATC directors on Saturday, and I, I'll leave that person's... Uh, I will respect their anonymity here, but it was explained to me, and I certainly understand once they told me, is... If they, there is has been approaches, and they're certainly out and about looking for potential sites. Now, the problem is if they identify one and make it public, mm. guess what happens to the cost of that piece <laughs> of land? It goes through the roof. Um, so they've got to try and keep a lot of these things, not in-house, but just go through the process until... They can make an announcement. So there's that issue. Um, the other issue too, um, people say, why don't you sell Canterbury? Um, you make a lot of money out of that. That's true. but um, And why are they looking at Rose Hill? Rose Hill is almost like the perfect storm, David, that, that in terms of the land, the access to the M4, which is the freeway very close to it, the access to Parramatta, um, the medium density opportunities to build all those um, things rolling to like this perfect storm, making Rose Hill so appealing to the state government and potential developers, Canterbury, which has been mooted for many years, it could potentially be sold you 're hamstrung at canterbury you 've got a river um, down one side you 've got already medium density housing down the other there 's not much room to to um, develop Canterbury um, as a potential site for housing. If you do, you need to have some green space there as well so you don't have the land or the potential to develop that area as you do at Rose Hill. So, look, I'd hate to see Rose Hill sold, but uh, like a lot of people, I, I want to see more information too before you can make that determination. And as one yes. trainer said, who's to say we don't get something better than what we've got now?
1: It is only early days. Just uh, two more points to make on it before we move on to to, to, to racing itself. I thought Chris Waller's um, uh, introduction to the or, or involvement was very significant. Look, yeah. we half expect Gay Water has to say these sort of things. Waller generally, is a reserve man, chooses his words wisely, but he was uh, he was uh, considered, he was polite, but he was very firm, and I, I think his his presence. Uh, was of great significance.
3: Of course, and given his standing in Australian racing, particularly Sydney racing, his main training base is at Rose. We were talking about satellite stables before with, with Benny. Of course, he has some stables at Warwick Farm as well, but primarily his main stable base has been, and he hopes always will be, Rose Hill. He doesn't live too far from from the course. He's got a young family going to certain schools. So, and he's got a huge... Um, and, and a number of people employed by his stable. So if Rose Hill is to be sold and he has to move, it impacts him more than anybody else at Rose Hill. So certainly um, he has kept his powder dry, hasn't he, over summer whilst this this issue had been sort of simmering along in the background. But once the, the ATC decide to have these information seminars, uh, Chris has chosen his moment to make his his thoughts public and can certainly understand his concerns given that it will have a dramatic impact on his business potentially.
1: Ray, I'll just lift some paragraphs from a story you wrote and and they're quotes from Will Freeman. I thought he spoke extremely well and I'll, I'll read these out. This is quoting Will Freeman, of course, who trains in partnership with his dad Richard to quote, but there are a lot of factors that go into making the right decision and we don't know all those possibilities yet. I think some participants aren't giving the process a chance in terms of finding the best solutions. I get the feeling the industry can always say no if the plans don't suit. The process needs to be given more time. I don't see the upside in saying this shouldn't happen just yet. ATC and Racing NSW won't want to get this wrong. There's too much at stake. But I'm not privy to enough of what they are planning to have a firm stance on this proposal. But I'm confident the process is easier when the government is working with you and what if the solution is far better than what we have already got? Then everyone is happy. Mm. I think he spoke extremely well.
3: Yeah, he's 100% right. And I think that goes back to that information aspect, doesn't mm. it, David? I, I think until people are fully informed of exactly what potentially is planned, it's difficult to make any decisions. I did ask an ATC director on Saturday or board member when this is likely to go to a vote of the young of the, um, club members. And, of course, if the club members vote against this, and essentially it's pretty much dead in the water. But there's no time frame, David, and that is because getting all these ducks in a row, to use that cliche, it takes time to get the architects, to get council approval, to get potentially investors going into buying this. All these things are going to take some considerable amount of time and it could be a year or two before all those plans are in place where you can then present um, the potential sale to club members and industry so everyone can make an informed decision. So... This issue will be bubbling along for
1: some time yet, David. I'm just starting to wonder how good is Storm Boy, the Golden Slipper favourite? Um, we, we saw him on display during the, the, the carnival up here. He ran the fastest Magic Minions ever. With the undertaking, that was on a new track, and it's a fast track, but he was mm-hmm. ultra impressive. I watched his trial at Rose Hill Gardens last mm-hmm. Thursday, and he, he strikes me as one of those horses I don't see too often. I used to say that's when I used to be involved with the harness racing, you watch horses, and you think, "Oh, they're doing it very comfortably. They're not running any time." Then you look at the time, and you say, "That's outstanding." This horse seemed to do what well, he did it well within himself in that trial, mm-hmm. won by four or five lengths. But he ran super time. Uh, I, I couldn't believe it. I like, was a second faster than Remark, who is one of the, mm-hmm. the the country's best sprinters. So I'm yep. just wondering how good is Stormboy?
3: Yeah, I think anyone knows at the moment. Certainly James McDonald was taken aback. It was his first ride on the horse. And as you hinted just then, if you watch that replay of the trial, James didn't move on him. He was actually almost shutting him down the last 200 metres, yet his closing sectionals were a tick over 33 last 600, and that was considerably faster, and his overall time considerably faster than anything else on the day. He's just got... This incredible high cruising speed. I spoke to Adrian Botts, the co trainer, about it on Saturday, and Adrian said that um, he, since he he's brought Stormboy back from the Gold Coast, that triple A, and we often see horsemen or hear horsemen tell us this, David, it seems to have seasoned Stormboy more. He's got that experience now, he's a little bit more relaxed, but he's got this ability to, to cruise around a high speed and do it effortlessly, and that was certainly an evidence in that trial last Thursday. Um, Like you, Doug, I don't know how good he is. I don't think anyone does. We'll see him next in the Skyline States early next month. That'll be his final lead-up into the Golden Slipper. Gay Waterhouse did it 20 years ago with Dance Hero, won a Magic Millions, won a Skyline, won the Triple Crown. That's what she's attempting to do with Storm Boy. And as good as Dance Hero was... From the evidence of what we've seen so far, you've got to say Stormboy's been more impressive early in the season and and the sky seems to be the limit with this Colt.
1: It is the tab Golden Slipper, but speaking of the Tab, they're fixed odds. Uh the three in front of Storm Boys price has gone. He was three dollars yesterday this morning. You'll wake up and see he's now two dollars eighty for the Golden Slipper, so putters getting right behind him. Switzerland at $6, who of course we saw beat Shangri-La Express on Saturday. It's at $11 with Lady of Camelot who I imagine is going to the Blue Diamond. And Espionage, yes. I mentioned Espionage at $13 because, is it right, we'll see him in the silver slipper this Saturday?
3: We will on Saturday. Hasn't raised since he won the Breeders' Plate, beating straight charge and cross and gave Gay House an age and Adrian bought the Breeders' Plate trifecta back in September. And that's set the tone, hasn't it, for their their season with two-year-olds. They've been winning virtually everything and he is the forgotten horse in many respects and his Breeders Plate win was was outstanding. He covered ground. I know it's only a 1,000 metres but he was strong through the line. Straight Charge then came out and won very impressively. at ran early summer. Cross the courses resumed and won the Cannon Beauty. So the form out of the Breeders Plate is exceptional. Um, he's a talented colt. We'll see him in the Silver Slipper. We'll see Straight Charge also resume in the Silver Slipper. I said to Adrian on Saturday that um, it's unfortunate you have to clash these good colts now. And he said it's just going to be part and parcel of what happens in the next few weeks. They're just going to have to meet in these lead-ups because primarily most of them, they've got about eight or nine heading towards the Golden Slipper Day, but most of them are virtually qualified on prize money and they need to have the preparations to ensure they're peaking on Golden Slipper Day. So, for example, this weekend, it suits espionage and straight charge to clash in the skyline, a Storm Boy will be taking on Price, for example. Lady of Camelot is definitely going to Melbourne for the Blue Diamond, too, David.
1: One more thing before we, we, we go. Uh, Imperatriz, of course, won the Lightning at Flemington on Saturday, as expected. Uh, interesting now, we, we spoke with David Ellison past the post yesterday. The Newmarket not totally ruled out. that A start of that race would be weight dependent. Of course, the William Reed is still mm. there as well, but I'm sure the Sydney side is mm-hmm. really hoping that. She comes for the TJ Smith as part of the championships.
0: It's
3: funny you say that, Dave. I'm literally writing the story this morning that potentially the championships will do exactly what they're designed for and determine the nation's best racehorse. Because right now, who wins horse of the year, David? Is it Imperatrice? Is it Mr Brightside? Is mm. it Fangirl? Is it so close that something could emerge during autumn? like a think about it or something else to potentially dominate the autumn and go to the championships, maybe in a Queen's of the Stakes and win that to win Horse of the Year. It's it's going to be fascinating as it unfolds. The TJ Smith potentially will bring together um, Imperatriz and Private Eye again. Think about, as we know, the Everest when he was going to Doncaster on the same day, but um, the TJ will also have a horse like Osmosis. How good is he? We, we, we don't know. Then the Queen's of the Stakes, the nominations were taken for the championships over the weekend. That will be a fascinating race with... Um, fangirl, Mr Brightside, of Jenny, possibly think about it backing up. I haven't mentioned I Wish I went, Who's going to the TJ. He's very, very good. So I think the championships this autumn, probably more so than many, many years in past, will do exactly what they're designed for, given that this horse of the races race is as close as I can recall for many years. And in recent years, we've had Winks and Very Elegant, Nature Strip, Animo, virtually... Um, have a lock on horse of the year before we've got to this year. I think it's very, very different, David.
1: Good on you, Ray. Thanks for your time this morning.
3: Thanks so much, David.
1: Ray Thomas joining us with uh, all of the news out of Sydney and that uh, Rose Hill story is certainly a big one and it's one that is going to uh, have a lot of energy uh, over many weeks and months to come. Just speaking of racing coming up this Saturday, of course, three Group 1s at Caulfield. Tab has Bodyguard and Coleman Co-favourites of the Blue Diamond at $5. Lady of Camelot, the Waterhouse Botrunner, at 6 High Octane at 7 And Neeser at $9. That rounds out the single figures. But that market, I'm sure, will um, alter um, following the barrier draw because you're going to have a capacity field. And um, barrier draws could, uh, could be the difference between winning and losing, having a chance or not having a chance. The Oakley play will also be a big field. Kings Gambit. Returns he trialled well at Warwick Farm last Monday. We we spoke with Peter Snowden yesterday. Three dollars fifty as Fura at four fifty, the South Aussie Shripper at six dollars and Bendetta at nine. And of course, the other Group One is the Futurity, and Mr. Brideside. dominant there at a dollar fifty, as he heads towards the All Star Mile. attrition at six dollars and Nugget at eight dollars. So three Group Ones at Caulfield on Saturday, and of course. A top meeting at Rosehill Gardens with several black type races. Let's listen to the replay of the last race at Eagle Farm on Saturday. 700 left to run. Binding is trying for an all-the-way win. Betch of the crowd edging closer now. Trailing by a neck as they reach the 600 metres. Palm third. Hollywood North primed and ready to go. Near the inside was Warp Speed. Aussie Nugget trying to make ground. And then Harbell, Butch and Bugs. Osterman on the outside. And too much class turned in last. Down below the 400 metres. Betcher, the crowd went to Binding. Warp Speed gets the inside run. Here comes Hollywood North. Chiming to the right time. And then came Palm. These five are stretched across the track in a good battle on the outside Hollywood North, Binding trying to find on then Warp Speed and Ostermeyer right down the outside, Hollywood North reached the lead, have a look at Ostermeyer right down the outside, up he goes and wins, Ostermeyer an upset, beats either Hollywood North or Warp Speed and fourth over the line, Binding He was a $26 chance and I suppose knocked a lot out of the quaddy. let's see what his co-trainer thought about his chances Troy Sweeney, he joins me on Press Room this morning, Troy how are you?
4: Not too bad, David. How are you this morning?
1: Well, now, I don't know if you're a betting man or not, I don't know you that well, but did you give Ostermey any hope in the last on Saturday?
4: Yeah, no, I thought he could run first three. Um, A couple of the owners had a little bit on on Wednesday at the $51, so they got a little bit out of him, which was nice. um, Yeah, no, I thought he was a good top three chance, but, but, yeah, it was good to see him win.
1: And all honours with him, because we know his pattern is to, to settle and race back, and generally over middle distances, but... You know they all had their chance there there was no uh no uh, hard luck stories he gave them a start and gave them a beating of course we haven't se- hadn't seen him since early December so it certainly gives the indication of the of the start of a very good campaign for him
4: yeah it does he was pretty good um sort of first up last breath when I was at warwick um uh Emily she wrote him perfect really, but wrote him for luck and he sort of a whole, he's a bit one dimensional he probably Drops out like he does in the races, and and sort of has to work into it himself and go wide. And if you ride him a race, he probably just won't take that gap. But when you go wide, he he has a pretty good sprint on him, and yeah, it was good to see him do that Saturday. Well, Jake 'm him,
1: rode him next one. So there's there's a good story to this horse that goes right back to the start. Tell me how much you purchased him for. Yeah, we
4: um, we picked him up for about eleven hundred dollars a floodstock auction. Um, I think it was twenty twenty and um he's a tiny little fella, he's only he's probably only fourteen three or something like that he's a tiny little horse and yeah picked him up pretty cheap online from adelaide and and got him up here and he's a nice type, nice little type of horse we all put together, but only a little horse, so it's probably why we got him cheap
1: and i think he won did he win his first start for
4: you? He won his first start at work yeah eleven hundred running gulps um Rode him. He actually first jump out up in Toowoomba, I reckon. He got beat a furlong in a six fifty metre jump out. But um, gave him a good spell and brought him back. And yeah, Ronnie Galt had a big opinion of him and pretty good judge of a horse. And yeah, he's going on with it now.
1: He's a great judge of a horse. And <laughs> I'm amazed with this horse. I mean, there's still time for this. He's never run in a Toowoomba Cup, which I thought might have been a really likely target for for you and Alyssa Senior based on the downs.
4: Yeah, it'd be it'd be yeah it'd be pretty good to have him in a race like that. Um, he'd won that twenty four hundred last year. I think it was a week or ten days before the Toowoomba Cup, so it probably didn't really work out to come back to the twenty one fifty. Maybe this year we might base his prep around it um, yeah, later in the year. But um, yeah, it'd be a good race for him. It'd be you know, wonderful to have a horse in it, let well, alone win it. Would be pretty cool. So yeah.
1: He's a six-year-old, but he he's not overly raced. He's had the thirty-four starts, and that was his seventh win on Saturday. Of course, uh, Alyssa's dad is is Alan Ross, who um, had a good horse a couple of decades ago called Treasure the queeler and of course, her grandfather was the the late great Jack Ross. What about your background? But how do you fit into the whole whole picture, Troy?
4: Um, I started in racing out in Kunimoa, um with a. Uh, I trained a Barry Shepherd out there. He's a very good horseman. Told me everything I know. And um, yeah, a couple of years in the police and then come up to Toowoomba um, 10 years ago, 2014. So um, yeah, just was riding work for this and then it went on from there.
1: And you're not a one trick pony because you're a, they tell me you're a good farrier.
4: Yeah, I try. I do my best. So do what I can.
1: And uh, in terms of stable numbers, how many have you got uh, in training at the moment? I've sort of got
4: around the nine or ten at the moment. That's sort of um, a pretty good number for us to do. To do all the work we've got two um, two small kids earlier and Vance two and two and six months old. So, um, so we're pretty busy with them. We're sort of yeah, he's pretty tied up with them, but um, uh, keeps us busy. But then then just showing business and that it's sort of it yeah, tends a pretty good number to be able to be hands-on ourselves.
1: Um, yeah, For sure. and certainly, Of course, you've had good success with Surreal Ascot and also chasing Jackley. But he's a, I think Ostermire, he's he's a horse who people have warmed it away because he's such a small horse, as you said, just over 14 hands, but he always tries hard. Can, he, sometimes he can be a little bit slow out of the gates. Yeah, he's done that a few times. I, yeah,
4: I don't know what that's about. He's a yeah, I um, suppose it's just his racing pattern. Rather, yeah, I don't know what that's what, about. What that's about, but um, he, yeah, he just puts himself back off the field and doesn't waste any energy early. Does he? I suppose, and then can reel off some sectionals. I think he's run 11-4 or something. That last six hundred on on Saturday, but barely break fourteen at home, but. Um, but he knows when to he knows
1: when to turn it on, so I can see there's a lot of with, with you and List there's a lot of pride in the horses, a lot of love of the horses. And I must say too, you're always well presented at the track. You you would have been a could have been a contestant of the fashions on the field if they had one on Saturday. Yeah. No,
4: presentation's always very important. Horses, we just try and have our horses looking as good as they can and um, yeah, he's a very yeah, he's a very special little horse to us and um it's to have a horse like in the stable. Now, the ones you mentioned Shireel Ascot and Chase and Jackley, we're very lucky at the moment. The stable we've got, and um, you know, we're only a small stable, but to have those sort of three good town Saturday town horses, it's pretty, it's unreal. So, yeah,
1: and, for, and considering you paid eleven hundred, um, you're laughing all the way to the bank. Good on you, Troy, and to listen, yeah. uh, and to the family. Thanks for your time this morning. Thanks, David. Thanks for that there is Troy Sweeney of course trains in partnership with his wife Alyssa and uh the two little kids they love their horses as well but uh, a good story there a very good story when you consider he costs 1100 dollars. ost what about last night we had the uh, Queensland Harness racing awards no surprises leap to fame of course was the horse of the year he's probably yes could be one of the world could be the world's best pace a leap to fame but uh, what one the dominion uh, in December last year, he was the uh, Queensland Harness Horse of the Year. Grant Dixon, his trainer and driver, was the trainer of the year. And Nathan Dawson was the driver of the year. But Nathan also won the title of Australian Driver of the Year. Uh, outstanding achievement. We discussed this a few weeks ago on Press Room. And also Leap to Fame was the Grand Circuit Champion for Harness Racing Australia. Those were some of the awards announced last night. We'll take a break here on Press Room. Thanks for your company this morning. Back to discuss all things Adelaide with Ben Scadden on the other side of this break.
0: You're listening to Press Room with David Fowler on Radio Tab.
1: If it's k Canine, your one-stop shop is Garrett's Horse & Hound. There are 13 stores across Australia and New Zealand. Garrett's Horse & Hound stock all the big names and they provide the very best in veterinary services. You can buy the products online. It's horseandhound.com.au or there's a free call number... Just dial 1-800-060-896. one 60 896 Garrett's Horse and Hand have presented press room from day one, way back in 2015. Let's have a chat with Ben Scaddon in Adelaide. Ben, how are you? Yeah, morning, David. How are you? Um, well, thanks. I reckon it was about six years ago I had the chance at Dooman one day to meet a delightful young lady, and uh, she was uh, at the races... But she told me that she was strapping sunlight in preparation for the yeah. magic minions of the Gold Coast. Now, when I saw this name on, on the my production notes, I rang a bell. I think this is the same girl, Sarah Rutton, who who trained Christabel it's, to win on Saturday.
5: It's most definitely the same girl. She's always got a smile on her face, hasn't she? Very um very bubbly. Um yeah. Always always got a a real um Bit of sunlight about her. I think she's she's always glowing, and yeah, it was really wonderful to see her get this first city winner on Saturday. So she, um, yeah, she was a a very very integral part of the uh, the uh, McEvoy Mitchell training operation here in South Australia. As I said, she was um, she was Sunlight's best friend. She travelled everywhere with Sunlight. She had a had a real um, very strong affinity with with that mare, and obviously you know they achieved some some amazing things during Sunlight's career. And Sarah was always there with her. Um, and she she reached the point where she decided to go out on her own, um, train train her own team um, based here in South Australia. And Christabel actually this uh, this filly really gave her her first winner anywhere when she won I think it was in March of last year, and then just a little under 12 months later she's delivered her first um, her first. Um, city-class winner as well. so She's been a pretty special horse for her. I'm sure if 10 years' time, if Sarah looks back and talks about some of her favourite horses, Sunlight will no, no doubt be very, very high on that list, but I think Christabel might get a mention.
1: For sure, and certainly yes, Sunlight won the Magic Millions 2018, being full as a boot in Outback Barbie, so just Three over six, six years, ago. years ago. Speaking of the yeah. girls, they were to the fore at KI2 for the Cup on Saturday.
5: Yeah, they sure were, and it's a really good Good ride by uh, Caitlin Tuttle. She won the won the race for trainer Nicky Irwin on um, on Eureka's Victory. He's one of the favoured favoured um, runners. And watching the race, I thought, gee, you're in a little bit of trouble here. Um, I wasn't sure if she was going to get a get a proper crack at them, but she's really patient ride by young Caitlin. Found a gap between horses, and the horse horse finished off really strongly for a, for a really strong win. So Nicky Irwin's won the K R Cup a couple of times now, and um, yeah, it was a really good win. Win great ride, I think. Caitlin has got a, got a lot of upside. She's obviously the uh, the daughter of the veteran jockey um, David Toodle, who well, I guess he's kind of virtually retired now. David, we haven't seen him for a while. And he hasn't made any any clear announcement of what he's going to do. Um, but yeah, Caitlin and she's uh, she's a very promising young rider, and I thought um, the way she rode that uh, that horse on on Saturday at Kangaroo Island was. Uh, a real marker of her talent and her, um, her maturity as well, because I think a lot of a lot of jockeys would have really panicked in that situation, but she stayed calm and and she got the result. It was a it was a great win.
1: Yes, Eureka's victory was an ex-Brisbane horse. Rob Heathcote trained Eureka's victory. Oh, yeah. it took a long time to win a maiden, but under Nicole's care, I think it's won five or six since then. Look uh, on a sobering note, we've had uh, you know some um, disturbing situations with with jockeys, not just in recent yeah. times, but going back over over months. Have, have you got some updates for us?
5: Yeah, so I guess the most recent one is Chelsea Reynolds. Um, I don't know if it's been talked about much at all, but uh, Chelsea had that um, had that fall in track work um, around about a week or so ago. Um, she's uh, she's indentured to. Uh, to Wayne Francis at Glen Kent at their base at Finnis. And, you know, I don't know actually what happened in the, in the fall, but she was... Um, she's taken to hospital. She's... The last we've heard is that she's in a... Uh, she's remains in an induced coma. That was the decision by the medical team to, to keep Chelsea in an induced coma. There hasn't been a lot of detail around the extent of her injuries. Um, and clearly, we need to respect the privacy of the family. There have been a couple of official notes put out... Um, Clearly, it's a, it's a serious situation. Um, but, yeah, I don't feel like it's right to speculate just in, exactly in terms of her condition. Um, we're all all praying for, for positive news soon, but we just kind of need to sit and wait. So let's fingers crossed we'll all be thinking of Chelsea and um, hope she can recover.
1: Of course, uh, I was at Strathalb on the day Kelsey Hannan uh, had that fall and uh, the, the media yeah. ultimately had to be, was, was cancelled or yeah. postponed to the following Friday. Any news on Kelsey?
5: Yeah, so yeah, Kelsey, she's had a after bursting onto the scene here in South Australia when she came across from New Zealand, and I think she rate five winners from her first ten rides, think crazy like that. She then had that um, that weird incident where um, she had a broken jaw, I think it was. Remember, so she's on the sidelines. Roll, then she had that that fall at, at after the post that strapped out in that first race there. Um, she did, did have a, a an injury to her neck. Uh, but she was at the track on Saturday at um, wasn't wearing a neck brace um, and her main challenge it seems is the dreaded concussion and just how long it's going to take her to recover from that so she's still suffering some, some of those um, typical concussion symptoms um, Talking on Saturday apparently she was indicating that she um, she thinks she's a few months away from returning to the racetrack. So hard to predict the, uh, the course of these concussion injuries and and just how quickly you can recover from them. Um, but, yeah, she's kind of hoping three to four months is um, is when she'll be back race riding. She's, you know, remaining positive from what I'm told. Um, but, yeah, she's not going to... It's going to be a little while till we see her back. And talking of concussion, obviously there's that incident with Baron Voss, which is which was, 12, I think it was 12 months of the day on Saturday since um, since he's ridden. Um, and that was a very innocuous incident as well. The horse just threw its head back and... Mm. Didn't look like a great deal at all, but he's still facing some challenges with those concussion symptoms. Um, you know, he's another one who's very much glass half full. And he says, he said, if he looks back to what he was like three years um, he has progressed a long way since then, um, but he's still got a way to go. I think one of his challenges is he's um, said, when he turns his neck a certain way, he can feel like a a real grabbing sensation. So something's not quite right there. He should see a specialist next month. And we'll hopefully get a get some real clarity in terms of what the next steps are for him. But he um he still remains positive about returning to uh, to race riding. Um, you know he's um obviously you know a hugely experienced and 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 very very capable jockey. So um obviously needs to do what's right for him in terms of health. But um but it'll be great to see him back in the saddle. He'll have a career in, in in the, thorough, the thoroughbred industry, regardless, but, um, it would be great to see him riding again. Yeah,
1: exactly. Well, South Australia's hopes of the Blue Diamond rest on Kuriyanagi ran so well in the, the prelude. Have we got a writer for Kuriyanagi?
5: Yeah, she was, she, she was good, wasn't she, in that, um, in that Blue on prelude? she's really, really good, and there's been a lot of hype around her. And, yes, um, Will Clark and Nicky O'Shea have announced that Brenton of Dullah has been booked to ride her in the Blue Diamond, obviously a very, very accomplished jockey. Um, he'll certainly give her every chance. And you know, as we know with these races, two year olds are so unpredictable. Barrier draws are a huge factor as well. But um what we've seen of her so far, she's um she's in it up to her eyeballs, the Blue Diamond. Um South Australia's had a few horses that have been very competitive in it, and obviously Miracles of Life is the one to remember from um oh, gee, I don't know how long ago that is now. It must be ten years, is it? Not too sure I need to have a look probably longer. Um but yeah, I think Kurianagi is, is a is a live chance. Um I think the state was pretty excited about her, excited about what they saw about her and still feel like she's got a huge amount of improvement in her. She's gonna be a better horse as she gets older. So that's um mm. that's same something. But yes, Brent dollar booked to ride her in the blue diamond.
1: And like most, they'll have their fingers crossed for a good barrier draw tomorrow. And just before you go, of course, the Be map sure is headed are. towards the Adelaide Cup. Only three weeks away, the Cup as well. There's a bit of a, a bit of um, jostling for for the ride on the map.
5: Yeah, it sounds like there is. So um, you know, Jamie Carr, you understand. She rode the map to victory on Melbourne Cup Day in that uh, 2800 meter race, which was so impressive. Um, she's she's apparently contacted uh, connections Dan Clark and Rupee McGilvray, and said. Folks, I'd love to ride her in the Adelaide Cup. Um, so it's uh again, that's a sort of feather in the cap for the horse. Obviously, if Jamie's decided this far out, that she would be at the, the map's the horse she'd like to be on. Having said that, Lucky Nindorf, uh, Roe has done a huge amount of work. Merk with work with the map does a lot of work for Dan Clark and Ove as well. Um, you know, former leading apprentice, and he um, he rode in a victory in that really impressive first up win. Um, Dan and Opie have said that he will definitely, Lockie will definitely retain the ride in the Lord Reems stakes, which is that um, traditional lead up to the Adelaide Cup. Then they need to make the decision. Um, it's a really tough one, and you know, I... you know, I can understand why um, you would book Jamie because she's one of the best best jockeys in Australia. Obviously, um, the my old fashioned style would, says that I would love to see Lockie retain the ride, but um, let's just see what happens.
1: OK, well, yeah, that will, will play out over the next few weeks. Good on you, Ben. Thanks for your time this sure morning. Will. Thanks, David. Cheers. Ben Scannon joining us from Adelaide. We're, at, uh, we're in the home straight of Press Room. Colin McNiff's on the line. Colin, good morning. What happened at Hobart yesterday? Any highlights? Look, the highlights are
0: probably the, the treble to John Keyes, who's doing such a, a a very good job since taking over the team of Scott Brunton with uh, the issues that Scott's had over the past few months. And David Perez also made a treble. And those two are making their mark now on the premierships, and it's becoming quite a tight race. John Keyes and Glenn Stevenson now equal top with 37 winners. John Blacker third on 28. And on the riding ranks, Anthony Darmannan, who missed the meeting through suspension, still leads on 38. Cody Jordan didn't ride yesterday on 34, but David Perez is starting to make his move on to 32. It was one of those meetings with just treading water. It was a seven-event card um, in Hobart yesterday, in between the Hobart Cup and the System Cup, really. So just one of those uh, nice little meetings that was good to get done and dusted.
1: And, of course, the carnival continues at Lonnie next Sunday.
0: Mm. Yeah, next Sunday with the Oaks. And we've got still a few more feature races to round out the uh, Tasmanian Summer Racing Festival, the Oaks being one of those, on Sunday. We've also got the Gold Sovereign for the two-year-old and, of course, the Launceston Cup and the Bamos Stakes to be run on the Wednesday afternoon. So looking forward to two big days of racing coming up to round out the festival in Launceston
1: next Sunday and the following Wednesday. And between those race dates, you've got your yearling sales next Monday.
0: Yeah, we have indeed, yeah. At the, at the new, um, at Quercus Park, which is a, a new venue, but it's been going quite successfully for the last couple of years out there, and they've just signed uh, to extend the, for another four years out at uh, Quercus Park, which is about 20 minutes out of longceston. 140 lots going through, uh, 57 individual size, uh, all the top Tassie size. Alpine Eagle needs further Stratus here will be uh, represented. Uh, uh, just having a quick look, uh, lot 29, Frosted Ehor. Ehor, the mum of Turquoise. I think that will create a lot of interest. So it should be a good sale. Once again, the Magic Million sale out of Quirkers Park, just outside of Launceston. And just before I go, David, if I could mention, Tasmanian Greyhound owned, or Tasmanian bred and owned Greyhound has made it through to the Australian Cup final. In Melbourne, my magic man, bred and owned by Patrick Ryan from Dilston, qualified for the Australian Cup. He now won eight from 18. That brook draw, uh, the uh, barrier draw, or box draw, should I say, is to come tomorrow. So interesting to see where he does fare.
1: Would that be the Pat Ryan that spent some time in Queensland? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Had, had a very good dog a couple of decades ago called Wineglass. A very yes, very nice gentleman, very quietly spoken.
0: Yeah, that's Pat, and his son Brennan
1: does a really good job promoting Tasmanian
0: uh, Greyhound Racing down here uh, through his deeds with the Launceston Greyhound Club and also Taz Racing. So very prominent family since coming down here, and the uh, Brook Inn has this one for Pat, my magic man, so we'll, we'll be watching next weekend.
1: Certainly will. Thanks, Colin. Cheers, David. Colin McLeod joining us here on Press Room, and that is Press Room for Monday the 19th of February. Thanks for your company. Always appreciate it, and I look forward to being with you next week. Have a good day. Bye-bye.